Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. How are you? I, I'm looking at some uh, butternut squash that I can't wait to eat for dinner right now. Uh, you put olive oil and salt on anything. I'm in. I'm, I'm in. That's, that's my favorite right there. I, uh, I'm excited about today's guest. Uh, Bertina Davis, who is a mental health advocate, uh, especially for the black community. And don't worry, you don't have to be black to listen to this episode. Uh, but we do get into some some blackness. I, it's it's therapeutic for Leo Flowers. I'm in San Diego. Is 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 not enough blackness down here for Leo Flowers? So I'm, I'm getting it through my podcast guests. Uh, it's a way of feeling connected. However, I assure you, this episode, she has some quotables and some life experiences that are timeless, that resonates with anybody, no matter the the skin tone and color. Uh, She has uh, attempted suicide uh, a couple times, and, and she lets us know what anchored her, what, how did she keep going. Um, it's a, it's a very powerful message. She talks, we talk about, uh, the stigma of, of having, uh, of, 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 of mental illness. She also talks about borderline personality disorder. That's what she was diagnosed with at the age of 27 and, and what those signs and symptoms are and then how she's been coping with that. And, uh, and the power, what, what is the superpower of having this? So many people have uh, a, some type of, you know, mental uh, disorder or diagnosis, and we look at it as a death sentence. And with every curse is a, is a blessing, and with every blessing, there is a curse. And the same goes true for if you have uh, been diagnosed with borderline personality or uh, bipolar or schizophrenia, there are blessings. And history teaches us that, that people have been able to succeed and thrive and do great things despite their diagnoses. Bertina um, lives in Minnesota, of all places. And if you've been following the news, you know the significance of Minnesota. So we do definitely talk into some of uh, speak to some of uh, the racial elements uh, that are taking place now and, and how we are experiencing that. We talk about how to self-soothe, which is very powerful. And the the downside of, of trying to be strong all the time, trying to present this image of uh, a Moroccan, and uh, anybody can lean on me, and I can take anything. There's a there's a downside to that, and and it, as we embrace both our sides, our strength, and our vulnerability, uh, we can have a lot more compassion for ourselves and for other people. And speaking of which, she also gives a there's a part where she talks about how to have compassion for someone you hate. <laughs> which is powerful because I'm 44 and there, there are still some people that I still hate. 
And and that but that hatred, that anger, it only destroys us. It only destroys our family and our friends and the things around us that we're trying to build and and the relationships that we're trying to foster. So how do we get past that? And uh, with that said, you know, go to thrivewithleo.com. Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. If you feel like you are going through some type of tragedy or had experienced a trauma or some type of transition, good or bad, sometimes it's good to have someone who is can understand and go through that with you. Someone who can who will listen and and share their experiences and and connect with you in a way uh, that where you can feel heard and understood. Go to thrivewithleo.com and let's get to tomorrow together. With that said, let's get into the episode. Is it Bertina? Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Bertina Davis. Uh, we got off to an auspicious start here, uh, <laughs> but we're going we gonna to pick this up. I mean, of all the things, we got COVID, murder hornets, uh, <laughs> protests. We got sound issues. I mean, this is just, this is just how 2020 is going, right? It yeah. is feedback. It's all types of... It was plastic in my food yesterday. I, all, oh, God. I, I, I'm just... All the things are happening right now. I, I, you know what? I, I kind of enjoy it. Uh, the chaos is uh, is kind of is has been fascinating um, because it's it's been an opportunity. I felt like for me to find out uh, where I stand and mm-hmm. also to improve my mental health practices. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've been meditating more, journaling more. How have you been, you know, maintaining what's been what's been your routine with all this? Um, yeah. So when COVID first happened, it was kind of like for me, it was I feel weird saying it because a lot of people are like when I say it, they're like, wait, what do you mean? But for me, it was one of the best things that could have happened to me. Um, just having to stay inside and as somebody who picks up a lot on other people's emotions, a lot of people, a lot on other people's energy, having to stay inside and be secluded from a lot of people was so healing. And so I just got into a routine of drinking more water, exercising, using a lot less chemical products. So like a lot less, um, hair products because I'm not going anywhere a lot less like, um, anything you really need to like to use in the outside world, a lot less water bottles. Cause all I have to do is drink out of a glass. So, I mean, for me, it was really nice and everything was like pretty good with my routine until what happened with George Floyd. And then I'm just getting back to a really good mental health routine. And that's basically just talking to my therapist right now. Yeah. I, when the whole thing with George Floyd broke, it it completely threw me off. I was losing sleep. Yeah. Um, I was up late, just 
I, I couldn't stop reading the articles. I have not watched the video. Good. Um, I, I just knew that that was something I couldn't, um, that would be on a loop forever. And, uh, and you're right. Like I'm just now, uh, getting back in, into Leo flowers. Uh, mm-hmm. have you, have you always had a therapist or is that something that you pick back up, um, recently? Oh, no, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Um, I've probably been in therapy since since my parents got divorced when I was eight. You know, like I've been in therapy on and off when I could afford it because it's not it's really they don't make it so it's accessible to everyone, which is a huge problem. But when I've been able to afford therapy and had the right health care, I I'm very adamant in going on therapy or going to therapy. And now my therapist is black. So it's made it a much better experience. All right. I want to unpack a few things here. One is your parents being divorced at eight. Was it the divorce that sent you to therapy or was it the, the way they divorced? Meaning like, was it tumultuous? Were they fighting over you? Were they pitting you against the other person? Or was it just the, the fact that, you know, what was it about the divorce that affected you? Uh, yeah, it's funny. It was actually, um, at least, so I, I'm from Minnesota. During that time in Minnesota, it was actually mandatory that kids of divorced parents, and I'm pretty sure it was especially uh, kids in a certain poverty range, get therapy. And so for me, it was, for me and my sis- and my siblings, it was mandatory at the time. But I probably would have needed it a lot earlier because there was a lot of uh, domestic violence in my household. And that's actually why they got divorced. So the the divorce for me was a breath of fresh air. Like I remember begging them to get divorced as a kid. That, uh, whoa. All right. So in Minnesota, (laughs) you get, it's it's mandated that you get therapy in a divorce. And then you, you were, you were cheering for this divorce. That's, that's a powerful statement. Yes. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that was back in the nineties. I'm not sure if it is anymore, but back, I remember back then, like, uh, my parents, my mom had to go through this whole program with all these other moms and we had to go to therapists with all these other kids as well. So now at, at the age of eight, were you, were you picking up on, uh, you know, the, the, the therapy, the treatment, was it like coloring? Do you even remember what they had you doing? Did you have to like draw a house and where's mommy, where's daddy kind of thing? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember doing that. I just remember talking to like some very friendly white women <laughs> for, <laughs> for hours. But that's what that's what I remember about the experience. But I remember, um, you know, I don't think I talked about it too much when I was a kid, just because, you know, it was it was my family's business in my in my mind. So I think it was just more of like. I think I used her as a sounding board to talk about my day at school because my mom wasn't able to do that because my mom had to go and work full time. And so I think I'm pretty sure I just used her as a sounding board to listen to like my extravagant, <laughs> adventurous life as like an eight year old. Well, and, and so I, you know, I, I typically, obviously, my brain is saying yeah, the, the domestic violence was your dad hitting your mom. Was that the case or was it? back and forth or what was the, the violent situation? Oh no, it was def- it was my, it was my father mm-hmm. towards my mother. Okay. Um, but she, she could have taken him. My mom's a, my mom 
moved a bed, like a queen size bed into my college dorm by herself. It was just love. You know, she loved him so much. She never, she would would have never wanted to hurt him or hit him. Wow. And so you think was a divorce that she was thinking about you, the kids, or was there like a, a, like one big blowout and she was like, that's it. I'm pretty sure it was us. Mm. Like it was, um, us girls, Mm. her daughters. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Yeah. Wow. That, you know, that takes a lot of strength. My, I remember my stepdad hit my mom at once Mm -hmm. and she was like, that's it. Pack your bags. We going, we out of here. I was like, but he got the Atari. Like I I was was a kid. Yeah. I was like, wait, wait, where are we going? Uh, but you know, I, it's one of those things when, you know how you get mad at your parents over stuff, but mm-hmm. it's one of those moments where anytime I, I do get mad at my mom, I think about that moment and how strong she was and how hard that mm. moment had to be for her, you know, not yeah. to just leave, but to leave with a son and, and she had to move to the other side of the the city and, you know, work and, and all that stuff. And so I like, she can't. She can't do any wrong because of that. Just the fact that yeah. she had that kind of fortitude in her uh, and, 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 you know, did what so many women struggle to do. Uh, Absolutely. And, and did it after one, you know, she was like, nope, out of here. And I was like, wow. The, yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, you going to therapy at eight, you at 17 were diagnosed with bipolar disorder, correct? Oh no, twenty seven. At twenty seven. Yeah. How they catch it? If you went in yeah. at eight, who was you? She was. She was too nice of a white lady. She ain't want to tell oh. you had bipolar. <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait. And it's it's not. And people uh, confuse this all the time. BPD isn't bipolar. It's borderline personality disorder. Oh, borderline. Oh, borderline yes, personality yes, yes, disorder. Yes. Okay. All right. So. Can you, for the listeners out there, explain what the symptoms are and and then if if you have any insight as to why it took so long to diagnose Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the interesting thing about uh, borderline personality disorder is it's not a mood disorder like bipolar is. It's more of a personality disorder. Um, A lot of the times it just can come from uh, learned behaviors in childhood, especially any sort of childhood trauma or any sort of um, neglect at any point, whether it's mental, emotional, or physical neglect. Um, Some of the symptoms... Um, I'm trying to think of the most clinical symptoms because sometimes I just think of, I think from my mind because I have it instead of thinking from what the clinical symptoms are. The clinical symptoms are a very rocky road of personal relationships that can include friendships and that can also include um, romantic relationships and then also mood, like uh, chronic mood swings. And so they're very quick. They're not like bipolar where bipolar is... Um, more of like a three-month mood swing to low and then three-month to high. Borderline, it's like it can be just any sort of environmental or outside or even inside trauma can just trigger you to have a very, like a very, I don't even know how to say it nicely. Uh, For me, it feels awful, a very awful um, 
mood. Don't don't pull about, back like, because you know you're you're talking about something that you've been diagnosed with. This is uh, a part of who you are, mm-hmm. and and so there's there's no need for you to to be like don't worry about being tasteful. You know, okay. say, say it how you want to say it. You know, it's just me and you, boo boo. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, it's I mean, well, okay, it sucks because it's it's really ruined a lot of my relationships, especially um, romantic ones, just because I have this thing where it's like, um, I love you, but I hate you, but don't leave me, you know? So it's like, I'll push a person to a certain extent. And I used to do this a lot before I was diagnosed. I would push a person away to a certain extent and then beg them to, to come back. But it's like, you can only do that to somebody so many times before they're like, no, like I'm out of here. I'm over this. And so there's that part. There is a lot of un, unability to self to self soothe. Like it takes me much longer to calm down from a traumatic experience on the normal person. So let's say, um, in the midst of everything going on with George Floyd, I was verbally attacked by, um, my, my partner's we'll just say family member. And it was all over the internet and it took me hours upon hours to calm down. Like it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. All I could think about was how many people like were agreeing with him, even if I couldn't see it. And it was just like, I couldn't self soothe. I just like, it kept amping up and amping up and amping up. And I kept getting more and more freaked out and frantic and sad and just crying. Like it was, it's just a mess. Like people just say like people with borderline personality are very dramatic. Like, um, they're the type of people that might uh, get upset and then key somebody's car. I haven't done that since high school. I'll be honest, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's be real. I've yeah, that's that's what borderline. It it feels like a very very rapid roller coaster that you literally can't get off. Wow, you know, yeah. and, and and I've I've dated a girl who was diagnosed with borderline. And really, she made for an amazing actress. Oh yeah, because they're just, they're so in they're they're cycling through their emotions so much. They're always in tune with it. She never went into acting, but uh, she she I remember I had like an audition. I was like, hey, can you read these sides for me? And and she was it called for her to cry, and right there, boom, the tears were just. I was like, wow, yeah. This is a, a whole other level of being tapped in, into emotions that uh, I'm not I'm not privy to. Yeah. And so when you talk about like unable to self soothe and 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 to uh, calm yourself, what are some of the things that you do to self soothe? So I'm I'm and I'm thinking about like times where like. It was really hard. Um, I do a lot of grounding techniques, and that's what I've learned um, from my therapist. And I, I just learned this on my own in the times where I really didn't know what to do. And it's one is visual grounding. And so, let's say like there's a blue sky outside. Like I'll say blue sky over and over and over again in my head, and I'll just keep picturing it and looking at one and picturing and looking at one until like all my mind, like all my mind can think about is just a blue sky. So it's like really like really serious repetition and visual grounding or like some people do it with scents. You know, some people will smell like a certain incense and just focus on that smell and it really grounds them. 
I do a lot of talking when I'm processing. So whether it's talking to like my fiance now, who's extremely patient with it and, or like one of my friends or family, I, I will talk out what happened. And I will talk, I will talk it to death because you have to, when you have borderline, like some people don't have the patience to deal with that, you know, cause you're like, you literally will say the same thing over and over and over again about the situation. Like, how could this person do this to me? 10 minutes later, how could this person do this to me? And like, you might say it in different ways, but like finding friends and family who are really patient with you is also very helpful. You know, uh, one of the things and you're absolutely right. Cause the, the, the girl I dated who had borderline, uh, we went to couples therapy and one of the things mm. that helped me the most, like I, I was ready to, to break. I mean, we eventually we broke up, but it, it's, and I realized like, even if you don't have borderline, this is great for most, for any relationship is that, uh, you know, she would get angry about something and mm-hmm. I immediately was trying to fix it and trying to fix it is just like throwing flames more, more, uh, yes. grease on a fire. And I, I couldn't understand. I was like, it was so logical in my brain and in, in her brain, I was just, I was just amping it up. So what I've learned, what I learned to do is when she was angry to say, you know, uh, I understand that you're angry and then talk about why she is angry and why I'd be angry about it also. And then ask her what else she's feeling. Mm. And so I was slowly helping her click through her emotions. And then she'd be like, well, you know, I'm also frustrated because this has been going on back and forth. And I, I just like, I thought this was resolved. It's not resolved, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yeah, I'd be frustrated too. You know, like that is, you know, the back and forth, uh, you think something's done and that sucks. It's like, and then I say, what else are you feeling? And she's like, you know, it also just hurt my feelings. Like I, I thought that they would just, you know, at least let me know, blah, blah, blah. And I would notice that every time I was labeling an emotion, she would get calmer and calmer. And so the, the period she spent in, in that heightened state of awareness, uh, we got to diminish something that would take sometimes days of us going through it. We, we were, you know, able to get through to, you know, down to like minutes, you know, and, uh, but you know, there was some other stuff that I was just like, I, uh, this is all too Mm -hmm. much for me, but it was a great, tool and a great skill to have and realize that it works on, you know, children, it works on, if you're trying to de-escalate mm-hmm. a situation, just helping people click through their emotions and recognizing that they have multiple emotions under there. Oh my God. I, I love that so much. Like that's one, I commend you for going to couples therapy. A lot of people won't go to couples therapy with somebody they're dating, no matter how important that also is. And then also for using that tool of asking those questions, because that's, that calms me down a lot too. So I can say that that works. It definitely does. Is there, you talked about grounding in terms of visual and you talked about scent and then talking. Do you, do you, um, do you write? Are there other forms of self-soothing techniques that have worked for you? Yeah, I'm a huge blogger. And so even sometimes I'll like, I'll write a blog and I'll just never post it. Like it just, it's just in the background because it's private because it was something that I wrote just to get out my feelings and emotions. And so I'm, I'm a huge advocate for writing and for dancing. Dancing is, I like, I know a lot of people are very into movement and 
if you're into dancing and you have mental health issues, whenever you have some sort of like an issue, anxiety or anything, just find a room and dance like to anything. It like that really does help me. It's such a big thing. And I think people underestimate the power of dance or just movement, period, whether mm-hmm. you're dancing, you're working out, you go for a walk or, you know, you hit the old punching bag, uh, something or even cooking, like chopping up. Sometimes I find myself chopping up more vegetables than mm-hmm. usual. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, bring all the vegetables. You know, I'm like at the farmer's market grabbing, grabbing all the things I can chop up. Uh, I love that. <laughs> it's, but it's, you know, movement. It, 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 it helps us to connect with our body. It helps to, you know, mm-hmm. reduce the cortisol levels. It just feels so good to move and it and it doesn't matter uh do you have a specific like playlist that you listen to or does it change i i could i could i feel like you're a beyonce type really <laughs> <laughs> or or do you go like the more melancholy route or it just it just varies depending on oh my gosh it it changes but i'm all, i'm actually a very old school i'm a i'm a shaka khan tina turner dancer <laughs> Which is, which people are like, who, some people are like, who are those people? But no, it's Shaka Khan, Tina Turner, Sade. That's my, those are my go-tos in the playlist. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm cool with a little Beyonce in Savage. Um, that was her in, on that uh, remix was really good. But I'm not, I'm not a huge uh, Beyonce dancer, actually. All right. So first of all, I need you to unfriend anybody who asks you who Shaka Khan is. Uh, <laughs> they just they just don't need to exist. We could just throw Thank them in you. here. Thank you. I agree. Why? Why? why I you agree. Why, <laughs> how did you even make it into the circle? How'd you, right. How'd you get past security? That's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Sade. Oh my God! Like that's a suit. Like she's just soothing. Oh my gosh! Just yeah. something soothing. Like like she drops an album, I don't even I don't need to hear nothing from the album. I, I I'm buying it. I'm downloading. I'm buying yep. it, and I'm listening to it from beginning to end. I'm I'm putting it on my calendar. Like don't listen. Listen ten yeah. times. Ten times in a row. Ten times and <laughs> all the way through. <laughs> now is your your sister has she been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder also or? Oh no. So, um, so one of my sisters, one, I, I will not disclose because I've never had her permission because we never talk about it. But okay. the other one, she actually is bipolar. Okay. So this, this is something that seems to run through the family when you, when, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure like when you look at your mom and your dad, you, you're seeing different diagnoses. Oh, my dad is diagnosed bipolar Okay. as well. And my mom, um, completely undisclosed. We have no idea if there is anything going on there. But my dad is completely di- he's diagnosed bipolar. He takes a lithium for his. Wow. So at least he's getting help. That sounds promising. That yes. He's at least doing something and not, you know, one of those guys that's like, ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm good. See, and that's and that's the scary thing though about the black community and mental health is my dad didn't my dad was like that pretty much because his parents were like that and he was like that until he was fifth I think he got diagnosed at fifty six. 
So he'd been running around completely unchecked doing wild things. And we were all just like, you know, what is wrong? What is wrong with that man? Why is, why does he do this? Why does he gamble so much? Why does he just like run off out of nowhere? Like we had no idea because my parents were not big advocates of mental health and neither were my grandparents. So nobody ever knew. Wow. But Mm -hmm. I mean, hats off at 57. Like, wow. That's turning the Titanic around. I'm so proud of him. And so I really am. So it sounds like you two still have a relationship, like you found a way to, to work through it or still working through it. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we'll always work. We'll always have to work through it. Right. Because my mom was there mostly. I was only with my dad on the weekends. My mom is my rock. She was our mother and also was basically our father, even when he was in the house, because she did all the, um, if we're talking about gender roles, she did all the masculine work. She did all the cleaning or not cleaning. That would be it. Well, gender roles, whatever. She did cleaning. She tiled the whole floor in our basement. She did all the painting. She also did the cooking. She also watched us. She also did the sewing. She also taught us how to play sports. Like, that was my mom, you know? And so my dad, like, he was was there and he was fun, you know, and he was great. But there's always going to be a lot of work in that relationship because he wasn't my everything like my mom was. But I was a daddy's girl, so that's where a lot of the confusion comes in because I was always about dad, but mom did everything. You know, you know when you talked about the some of the root causes of borderline personality, we talked about neglect. Can mm-hmm. you can you uh, define that a little bit more specifically because? It's like when people think about neglect, it's like, what does that mean? Like your dad was working all day and he came home at seven. So, so did my parents. Like what's the difference between like, you know, um, neglect and then mm-hmm. someone just, you know, I guess not being there. I guess that's not the, that's not what, but you know what I'm asking. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, cause it's funny cause my dad, my dad actually was working a lot of time. And so people would say, you know, what does that mean? But it's what he does. It's what he was like when he came home from work, you know, like, is he, is he loving all the time or is he going to be drunk dad? You know, is he going to be drunk dad who, who never laid a hand on me, but also I didn't exist in his world. So, you know, it would be either he was going to be kind, loving, funny dad, or he was going to be neglectful, too busy beating my mom up, too busy arguing with her, too busy sitting in the basement, dad. And then, yeah, and my mom, the things with her were, you know, she could either be very love, very loving mom, or she's going to be drunk mom. She's going to say awful things to you that you're never going to, like, she's never going to remember. She doesn't remember the next day. Um, she's going to go from calling you the most beautiful person in the world and putting you on a pedestal into like, you're a dumbass, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to say everything she has said because yeah, I mean, it's a lot, but it's, it's that back and forth. Like sometimes it can be as simple as like only being neglected. Sometimes that can confuse a kid, you know, and create that like very push and pull 
um, personality with that is borderline personality disorder. And that's having yourself be put on a pedestal and then dropped six feet under and then pulled back up to that pedestal and dropped six feet under. I mean, it's a lot to handle. So did you get in a lot of trouble at school? Was there a lot of fights or not showing up to class? Like what was school like for you? Oh my gosh. I was actually, um, I was actually the very emotional crier. So, um, in middle school, especially I was the person who would like cry at a drop of, at a drop of a hat. And that's, um, that's another way you can kind of tell somebody has borderline personalities, whereas they're very, like the child is very, very fragile. And I like, I was the one where the teachers would keep telling me, especially the black teachers would say, you have to grow thick skin, Bertina. You have to grow thick skin. You can't just cry about this. You can't just freak out about this. But I was, I was just very emotional. And, you know, I was, you know, I was good in school for the most part. And I still maintained a pretty, um, innocent life, basically. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't kiss a boy until I was 15. I didn't, I wasn't interested in anything like that. I was just interested in like my friends and being a kid, especially because when I was at home, I had to know about and pay attention to more adult things. So at school, I just wanted to be a kid. Oh, I completely get that. I was, yeah. you know, I didn't grow up in, in a, well, I mean, mom's, she did uh, beat us, you know, but it mm-hmm. was usually, you know, something we did. It wasn't like an out the blue uh, right. kind of thing. And But yeah, at home, I had to be an adult because I have a, a sister who's four years younger and mom was always working. So like laundry, cooking, cleaning, anything right. that needed to be done, I was I was the person. And so at school, I went to a Catholic school. So even at school, I felt like I couldn't be a kid because I was like one of the only black kids in a white school. Oh, wow. So at home, I couldn't be a, a kid too much. And at school, I couldn't be a kid. It was really like only out in the streets that, mm. you know, I could, I felt some sense of freedom, you know? So can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so how was, um, cause I, I also was one of the only black kids in a white school. How was that for you? Like, do you think it, do you think you feel a little bit differently than black kids who grew up around black kids? Oh, for sure. Like there, mm-hmm. there was definitely a, uh, a feeling of, I, I have to not, I, I don't know if it was so much. I had to, I had to prove myself, but like, I just felt like I wasn't part of either group. Like yes. I wasn't part of the Catholic white kids because I wasn't Catholic or white. And then I wasn't part of the black kids because, uh, you know, I, I didn't, you know, they would always talk about how, like how I spoke so well. Yes. They're like you enunciate and articulate. <laughs> You're right. And, You're an Oreo. You know, yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't get the Oreo too much, but it was really always about my lucky. speech. Yeah. Mm. It was, that, that, that was the, the primary, which, you know, kind of saved me. I had, you know, my friends that I grew up with because I started off at a public mm-hmm. school uh, and they continued on through public schools and got involved in uh, gangs and selling drugs. And okay. uh, because I, I was the corny kid who went to a Catholic school, they never, I never even knew about it until later on. They were like, man, we ain't even want to tell you what we were doing uh, over here on the side because we ain't want to involve you in it. 
which wow. saved me because they were my boys. And so I, who's to say I wouldn't have been like, no, man, I want to go, you know. Um, and so being that corny kid saved me. My cousin, same way. He was involved in gangs and he'd be getting into fights. And, and But he was my older cousin. I wanted to hang out with him. And he was like, nah, man, you know, this, this ain't for you. So uh, I, there was an angel looking over, over mm-hmm. me my whole childhood because I, I definitely was trying to be out there in the streets and uh, fortunately, uh, the, the, the people around me saw something different in me. And, uh, and it was being different that, that's, you know, I, I attribute to saving my life. Wow. Yeah. Because my cousin oh, now, he's, he's all up in drugs. And my other friends, they uh, uh, one got admitted into a psych ward. And, and so it was, it was, a ugly, it was an ugly path that, that other I was... And so now, so now there's that guilt of like, why did I make it out? And they didn't when they had, mm. they were, they were five steps ahead of me. You know, they, we, we grew up in a similar situation. So there's a feeling of guilt that, that also, uh, that plays into it. But, and then a feeling of like, well, since I made it, I have to do more with the opportunity, you know? Absolutely. So there's layers. There's so many layers. That's uh, a lot of layers. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of layers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think about that? Do you feel that? Because uh, you said you you were also like one of the only black students at a white school. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I Well, I started out and I like I was in the class like so with only being a couple of black students in the school, they put us in middle school, they put us in a class like all together. And for me, I was completely outcasted because of the way I talk. So, you know, a lot of the other girls were, they lived down the street from me. So they were, they were from like more of like quote unquote the hood. And I wasn't up until I was, well, actually I'd, I've never lived in the hood, but I've always lived in poverty. So it was an, it's an interesting place to be because since I was always the poor black kid living in a rich white neighborhood, because my mom would work so many jobs, but sometimes we didn't have electricity. Sometimes we didn't have like a lot, like an assortment of food we wanted to eat. So I always felt really different and I always felt really outcasted because the black kids didn't accept me because of the way I talk, because of the way I dress, because of the music I listen to. And then the white kids, you know, I'm always, the, I'm always the token. I remember I was, I had a group of these, um, these friends, all white girls. And I ended up hearing that one of them called me like the thumb of the group. Like I just didn't fit, but I was always there kind mm. of thing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. What a visual. Yeah. Yikes. And it was true. Now that I look back at it, you know, it's, it really is true because I always, I always felt like I didn't fit around in around them, but I didn't fit in around my own people either. And it took a lot of like me coming into me to figure out and find the people I do fit with. You know, what's interesting is I hear you talking about it. I realized, although I felt like I didn't fit in, I was accepted. Mm. If that makes sense. So yes. I, I felt like I didn't fit in. However, I was class president. Oh, see. you know, so and I played basketball. So the playing basketball sports, those kind of things. You know, I had my little crew of boys, which is all I really needed. Um, I had enough 
to feel accepted. And, you know, Mm. the teachers uh, did a great job of, I was like, there was a school play and uh, I was, I played, it was Snow White and I played the, here's how advanced the school was. Like it was, it was a few black kids, but I played the king, the father. And then my daughter was uh, a mixed girl. And then the prince was a white kid. And so they, they, they covered all three. Oh, black, wow. Mixed white, uh, you know, as, as the three main leads. And, uh, and so, yeah, I felt accepted. You know, I, I never felt any racial, um, and, and actually it came from me. The, when I, when I look at it, I, it, I realized it was like my way to feel accepted by everybody. Cause it was a new school in a fourth grade and mm-hmm. the girl who was mixed. And there was another girl who was really dark and it was just, uh, us three. And I made up this song that, you know, I'm in, I'd be, I wouldn't even say it now, but I made up a song about both of them. And I had like the other kids in the school singing it and it was, and, uh, and then I remember the teacher pulled me to the side, like, you, you know, you can't sing that and you can't say that as bullying, whatever. And then I just, I never sang it after that. But looking back, mm. I, I, I was, you know, trying to do whatever to be accepted or, or, you know, hang with the cool oh, kids. Oh, wow. And it, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what the, what the cost was, but, um, but yeah, I completely forgot about that, you know? Um, but wow. I'm glad I learned that lesson early. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm glad I learned that lesson early. I can be sort of a know-it-all when it comes to certain things, especially if it's like versus doctors. Cause doctors never really believe black women anyway. So I just, I kind of like to show out. Doctors don't believe black people. Thank you. I got it. I was telling my Ever. girl the other day, I was like, I feel in the pain on my side. I'm going to have to play this up like I got like uh, yep. like a, a colon cancer or something. <laughs> yeah. I have to, I'm going to have to come yeah. in with my whales, you know. <laughs> yep. You got to act. I, and and I, I was, I thought it was racial. I thought it was, you know, they, uh, they, they want us to die. And then I found out that it's, it's, it's a, it's, here's the thing here. And, and I'm sure you found this with, uh, the borderline personality that it's both mm-hmm. a a blessing and a curse, right? So the our skin color, they on one hand they may uh, think that we're less than. Not, not saying all doctors are all white people, but s- some of them who do. And but at the same time, they also think because of our skin color, we're more resilient and, and tougher than we are. So when when they look yeah. at the uh at at um the uh administration that's not the word I'm looking for but in terms of like uh, who they're giving painkillers to they're mm-hmm. 10 times more likely to give it to a white woman than uh a black woman uh and it's just because the white woman in a doctor's eyes seems more frail more fragile like she needs more of the assistance versus a black woman looks like she could, she could handle this, you know, she could handle this knee surgery. She don't need no painkiller. And and so it's this, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. You finish. So I, so it's this, you know, and and then I also, you know, now that I'm, 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 I'm I'm talking through it. It's, it's also, uh, uh, playing into why white cops fear, uh, black men because, Mm -hmm. you know, they see us as a, as a stronger, and, uh, you know, more virile and more, 
you know, all these things. And so they feel like they have to do 10x just to put the handcuffs on us when really if you just say, turn around, put your hand, I'm, I'm going to do what you ask me to do. You ain't got to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've been, I had to, I, I've been cuffed a couple of times. So listen, I'm sure I, I wish there was like a, <laughs> I wish there was like a, a something on your ID that let the cops know you've been arrested a few times and that, you know, you're like, Hey, listen, I got, listen, I, I got, I'm 10 for 10. I, I just went along and you don't have to do anything. <laughs> crazy <laughs> yeah you guys should have a we should have a punch card yeah yeah yeah. like this is how many times here you go i got a free one this is yeah. my get out of yeah. free yeah. ticket but i also i need i feel like i need a mood ring on some of these cops i need to know what, what kind of day mm. they have and as they like oh his is is blaring red what's going on with this oh gosh <laughs> I'll, yeah well, i'll be keeping it so, at the 10 and 2 yeah so to um to your to your point about uh, white women, you know, being seen as not as like as like more like uh, fragile or more weaker in the doctor's office as as well as black women being strong. That's another huge problem I have with this society, and why I feel like with mental health, black women don't get the help they need, especially, and it's because of the fact that we're we are getting stripped of our femininity at every single point, like everyone's like, Oh, the black woman is so strong. The black woman is so resilient. The black woman needs to carry all this and this and this on her, on her shoulder. She can't possibly have depression or any mental illnesses because she's such a strong like pillar in society. And that is like, it's ridiculous. And it's putting this notion in black women's head that they always need to rise to this occasion of strength and it's really messing with mental health because when do, when do we get to be seen as fragile, you know, as feminine? I've never really played to that strong woman just because of, and that's why I look at uh, BPD as a blessing because I'm way too emotionally fragile to, to like even pretend to be the strong woman in situations. But because of that, I've noticed that men, especially like black men, are more likely to come in and try to protect me, you know, and give me that space to be feminine and give me that space to be fragile and be delicate. Whereas a lot of black women have been taught from such a young age to play into that strength role. And it's it's really unhealthy if you think about it. It is super unhealthy. Uh, for both men and and women, I, yes. I just I was just having a conversation the other day with someone, and and she didn't understand. You know, she she's uh, she's from Russia. You know, mm-hmm. they, so they're not big on emotions over there. Period. They don't understand therapy or anything. And um, and she was saying how, like, I don't understand black men crying. Like, I, I thought black men were so oh, tough. Yikes. And I was just okay. like. And, you know, it was one of those things where I was, I was, I was angry at the comment and mm-hmm. I was like, you, you basically objectified us and, and you're, you're, it's a way of dehumanizing us to say that I can't feel all the feelings like that. Like that's only, uh, for, uh, you know, a certain group of people or color or culture or whatever, um, but then also realize that we as black people, you know, we don't help with, we look at the videos and the music 
in some ways of like depicting like the, the strength and the power and, and the black. It's like we can't be powerful and all these things all the time. And I think that now we're starting to see Mm-mm. the different shades of blackness uh, of just being human. And I think once we get to a place where we're just like, this is the human experience. Humans cry, they laugh, they get hurt instead of this, you know, uh, trying to, uh, Oh, this group of people feel this way or do that. It's like, no, we, we all are human and we all have the same emotional experiences. Mm. It's, it's, uh, but it's a, it's a tough, but we know we love to label things that, I mean, that's the, just in, just in general, true. we love to categorize things. You know, you look at somebody, uh, do something and you're like, Oh, okay. I already know who that person is. And we don't even take the time to ask questions or to explore or dig a little deeper. Um, and we, we just kind of take things at face value. So, and that's a human thing. That's, you know, that, that's something that we, we, we all do. We kind of judge a, uh, like, oh, you know, why are they together? And, oh, I bet you it's, you know, X, Y, and Z or, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, but we're, not, we're not having conversations. We're not talking things through and, and getting to know our neighbors. Very true. That is, that is very true. And it's, I mean, I feel like it's getting harder for us to all have conversations in spaces. I know for some people they say it's getting, it's getting easier, but it's only getting easier if you agree with that person completely. If you agree with everything that person says, it's easy to have for us to have conversations now, but the slightest bit of discourse or animosity and people are just like, we can't have the conversations anymore. Uh, I, I took everything in my, in my body not to just get up and walk away from the conversation, but I stayed because I, I was like, all right, I want to explore these feelings that I'm having and I want to explore mm-hmm. these ideas that she has, right? To see like, where is this coming from? And you're right. It's like, we're not having conversations. It's tough. People... We, we, we want to cut each other off. We don't want to hear the full story. We, we get the sound bite and we're off and running. And, right. uh, and, it, and it's hard. And plus, I think part of it is if you, if you sit with someone who has a different opinion than yours, I think we're also afraid of absorbing that opinion versus mm. being able to think, criti- you know what I'm saying? It's like if somebody's like, I love the devil. I'd be like, whoa, all right. Let me... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ooh, what's around the yeah. corner? You know, uh, you, you don't want to. You don't want to hear his reasons for loving the devil. You like, you know what? Three and four made sense. So <laughs> we. <laughs> so there's also that fear of I, I don't want to absorb this and and be thinking about him and wake up one day like, oh yeah, I think the devil is up. And See, uh, it's tough. And that's why, but that's why people have to. Um, they have to be. St- be stronger and more critical and understanding about their stance. And I think like a good role model for understanding somebody else's point of view and working together for me is Fred Hampton, um, the black Panther, uh, chairman Fred Hampton of the black Panther party in Chicago. He was able, the the reason why people said he was the most dangerous black Panther is because he would go into like the suburbs 
like where all the white people lived and even past that, the country where all the Ku Klux Klan members lived. And he would talk to people in a room like about race and about class. And he could get like he got Ku Klux Klan members to denounce the Ku Klux Klan and be on his side. Like that's the kind that's the kind of person he was where he one of his most famous speeches was like power to the people, power to the black people, power to the white people. And at that time, it was okay to call Asian people yellow and indigenous people red. It's not okay anymore by any means. But, you know, like the next part was power to the yellow people, power to the red people. And that's like the type of person he was. And so whenever I want to think about learning somebody's viewpoint and not completely shutting him down. I think of Fred Hampton and I think of having a real class analysis because race is a branch of class. And at the end, we're all going to be fighting for the same thing. Like all of us, 99% will be fighting for the same thing. Absolutely. You know, uh, I was reading Abraham, I'm reading Malcolm X's book right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'm gonna read Martin Luther King. I figure I want to get I want to get hyped up, and then I wanna I wanna cool it down. Yeah, <laughs> cool it second. down with Martin. Yeah, yeah you don't want to go the opposite direction. <laughs> no, that's no. around get fired. Uh, um, but it, it's uh, but I'm reading those books, you know, not because I'm 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 getting all black powery. I don't even know if that's the word, but uh, but more because of to learn the tools for influence and persuasion, right? Like how do you, how do you communicate with a crowd in a way that um, they at, at the very least will listen to what you're saying and that there is a dialogue back and forth? Because, you know, earlier you were saying like, you know, it, it's easy to have a conversation with somebody that you agree with. But the truth is when you are agreeing with someone there's really not much of a conversation. It's really more of that's a monologue, true. right? That's and, true. And so then there's no growth that's being mm. had. There's like when you go to the gym, you don't, it's not going to, it's not going to do you any good to lift the weights that you always been lifting. You have to, you have to put an extra plate on there. You got, you got to, you got to challenge the muscles, <laughs> right. right? And so, you know, I have friends, uh, my, my girlfriend, her mom, she watches all the, she watches uh, you know, CNN and Fox. And she was like, you need to know how the other side is thinking so true. that it's you, you can figure out, you know, how to maneuver and, and how to respond it, but also how to, how to talk, meet, re, uh, meet them where they are. And so that mm. you can, you know, uh, guide them. But if you don't even know what they value or what they're about or, or what their concerns are, how are you going to have an impact and, and uh, have a communication? And I was like, you're absolutely That's real. right. That's real. And um, just because uh, of what you said about how you're not trying to get black powery, I will say for the record, I'm always trying to get black powery. <laughs> just, so, <laughs> just so everyone who's listening knows because people know me and they're going to be like, well, wait, Bertina better not say she feels that way. I, I'm not involved <laughs> with that. <laughs> well, you know, and and I say that because you know, it goes back to how I was raised where because I had to navigate different cultures and demographics mm. and people, I, I, from a young age realized I had to adapt, uh, for the people with the people by, you know, where it, it and, and, and so, and I've traveled, I've been five continents. I have two continents left. 
So when you when you Very travel nice. the world and and you you experience different cultures and different foods and different lifestyles and you know where was I in uh, I was in Pakistan you know and they put like eight kids on a scooter with no helmet in Pakistan Oof. you know when you see that kind of thing and it's no big deal and they just eighty miles an hour just zipping through and but the food's amazing you know and so when you when you travel you go I this it has to be bigger than like like you, you realize like life is bigger than uh black and white or uh catholic and muslim or, and all it's like man if we're not talking about the people in the world then what kind of impact are we really talking about but mm. at the same time i also recognize the need to have people who are focused on black power who are focused yes. on uh, LGBTQIAPK, I think is now. <laughs> they got. They just keep adding. Why don't they just just? There say is not a, a K. Through You're Z. Joking. No, no. The the K is kink. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is everyone okay with that? Because I feel like the kink community is like can be like quote unquote cisgendered people. So is everyone okay? Listen, it's a lot. It's a lot. I, I'm just trying to make sure I got all I got covering crossing my T's dot in my eyes and, oh my and covering gosh. the K. It's just a lot. I know. Uh, but, you know, people with disabilities. I mean, if anybody yes. is really being very important. Right. I, I've been on um, uh, reservations and seen what what's left of these reservations and, and how we treated uh, Native Americans and the indigenous people. Uh, you know, where's their voice? So I, at like. So we need people who are fighting for these minority voices, you know, Asians, uh, uh, Indians, uh, all these different uh, groups of women, men, all those different groups. But then you also we also so we need both people who are thinking about the, the larger picture, like an Elon Musk, who's like, we got to go to Mars. And then you need somebody who's like, we need money for this school, you know, like so <laughs> there's, oh there's a place for everybody uh, at the table. And, and I, and I think that's, what's beautiful is that we are seeing people who are, are coming together and, and, uh, and voicing their opinion. And I, I think that I'm, I'm very hopeful when you look at the history of the world and of America, like we actually cycle, we move, we progress pretty quickly, uh, through things, not as fast as we want, obviously, but, uh, it, I, I feel I'm, I'm very hopeful about uh, America, about the world. Uh, there's also Mars, you know, we'll <laughs> get to Mars. Yeah. I'm just, that's my goal. I'm just trying to be on the shuttle to Mars, you know. Oh, my I just want to make sure I can help populate another. <laughs> oh, I don't know about going to Mars. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I have my little Netflix uh, all queued up and, and be ready to go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, nah, nah, I'm good. I'm good right no, here. I'm good. I'm I'm good good. Right here. You got your friends, you got your routine. Yeah, I mean, that that would be a huge disruption to the to the routine right there. Can you imagine? Yeah, that sounds like a lot. It's, and it's just like I feel like um oh, there's there's just so much work to be done. See, I, you're you're very optimistic. Mm -hmm. I feel about, you know, like America and change. I'm very like I'm still kind of, I'm still very angry and irritated and I want change to come for my, for my people immediately. 
And so like, that's like, there's just some, I couldn't even think about going to Mars unless Mars happens to be, and we, we find out that there's been some cloaks and it happens to be just like an all black planet. Then I'm the first one on the plane. <laughs> I'm gone. But I guess, um, like, is there an Atlanta know. Mars up there? Is there? Uh... Oh my gosh. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Um, uh, to, uh, as I said, I have ADHD and, and, and mm-hmm. like to jump around the, That's when you were younger, you had, uh, did you, you had a couple suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. did you, what saved you? How did you, how did you work your way? Through that? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I feel like, I feel like there's always been, um, two very stable and staple saving graces in my life. And those are my sisters. I'm the oldest. Um, we're all two years apart and they are, they have been what has kept me alive every time. It wasn't even like, it wasn't even, I, I remember how I felt at the time and it wasn't me. Like, forget my life. I've, I've felt so many times in my life where I've just been like, forget my life. Like I'm living for my faith or I'm living for my sisters, but it's always like faith has come and gone, but my sisters are forever, you know, like, so I remember it was thinking about them. It was thinking about leaving them in this world without me. If I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. The, the people around you, I, so many people think that the world and the people close to them would be better off without them. Mm. And, uh, but it was, it was your connection and your bond with your sisters that you were like, yes, I, I can't do it. Mm-mm. Could, could you, nope. What was it specifically about that bond where you're like, I have to be here for my sisters. What, were you like, uh, one can't, can't never pay a rent. I'm always paying her rent. Like what? Oh no. <laughs> no. <laughs> they're going to listen to this and be like, yeah. and turn it off before they even get to me. And they're going to be like, well, Bertina, I heard that you, you were talking about me on this podcast. <laughs> no. Um, it was definitely just, um, gosh, it's like this, it's this like, this amount of love that I have for them because we went through so much together. Mm. And it was like, you know, like as a, when I was really young, I was the one protecting them. I didn't even remember this, but my sister told my, um, my grandmother told my sister this story about how she came over once because my parents were having a fight. And she was like, she asked me like, where are your sisters? Cause I was downstairs trying to break my parents apart. And she was like, where are your sisters? And I was like, they're in the closet upstairs. I put them in the closet you know, because I saw it on TV and like, I, like, I remember like, it was like a a safe space because they couldn't hear anything. So I put them in the closet and it's just like that type of love that I've always had for them. And that type of need to protect them. Like I felt if I took myself out, I wasn't going to be able to protect them, but also it was the fact that they've always protected me. And I didn't realize that until I got older that, you know, like, because I was so fragile, especially with boys and relationships. Like I remember my sister, she like, 
she came in the room, I was crying about some boy, you know, I was like badly, ridiculously heartbroken about my two week relationship with some fool who was like, I don't even remember who it was now, but I just remember her like holding me and telling me that I was going to be okay. And that I would be better in a couple of days. And just her reminding me that, you know, I'm very sensitive and that's the reason I feel this way. And we didn't have a name for it then. We didn't know what was like, what it was, but I just remember her knowing me so well that she was like, you're just very, Bertina, you're very sensitive, but you're going to be okay. And so that, like that bond and that knowing, you know, it's just like, I, I couldn't leave them. And I know that they feel the same way about me and I need them. And if I left, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get to see them or I would depending on people's faith, whatever you believe in. <laughs> right. We don't really, we don't know. <laughs> I'd never go into my face. I don't, <laughs> but yeah. So what do you do for work now? Um, so I am in marketing. So I work at a company doing marketing um, and we help uh, black indigenous and people of color entrepreneurs find business capital. And then I own my own company called being on brand where I do marketing for clients and they just happen to mostly be black women, mm. which is great. Uh, right. Cause y'all already, y'all like Shaka Khan and Sade. Yeah, so y'all gotta, <laughs> y'all gotta, you got an immediate bond. The powwow. Yeah. We're doing little powwow. No, I have some black men too, but, um, it's just funny that they're black people in general. I don't have any other clients, but I'm always open. It's just, I happen to draw in, you know, a certain type of clientele. So have you found that, uh, the, What's the what's been a superpower for you with being having being diagnosed with borderline personality? Like, what's the upside of that you, that you found that's really helped you in life? Oh my gosh! So the so if the Reddit community ever hears this, they're gonna be so mad because there is like there was this person who was like, there is no upside to borderline personality, and it was just like a very intense conversation that I was like. I don't agree with that because the upside to me is that like when I'm like, when I'm empathetic, when I'm loving, I am loving and empathetic. Like I love people with my whole heart and I feel like that's what helps me, you know, um, I, that, that's what helps me relate to people. That's what helps me be there for people is like how much I genuinely actually love them. Now, is it hard sometimes because like when I dislike them, I, I really dislike people when I dislike people. And that's something I'm working on in therapy. Uh, that is hard. But when I love somebody, I love them enough that I want to know, like I want to see every point of view that they have and I want to protect them and I want to care for them. And I think that is something that's great about people who have borderline personality disorder. Oh my God, that's what made it so hard to break up with her. She always made me feel I like, bet. Like I was the only person in the room. I bet. Like yeah. I was a king. Like I I I was I the intensity. I was I was mm -hmm. like, oh my God. Um oh, is my girlfriend here? Um so <laughs> <laughs> I got I got lost for a second. <laughs> The and so when when you 
dislike. I mean, let's let's be honest. We're not talking about dislike. Oh, when you hate, when you are, when you want them yeah. dead, you want their family dead, you want the house <laughs> burned down to the ground. That's from a movie. Um, how do you? <laughs> you laugh because you're like, that's exactly how I feel. Um, yeah. How do you? How how are you reframing that in your brain? Like, what what do you what what are some of the tools techniques that you you and your therapist are working on? Oh my god! Well, one, you really know a lot about borderline personality disorder because I'm sitting here trying to sugarcoat what I'm thinking in my head because people people have this. Uh, I'll just say this really quick. People have this perceived notion of me, and I think it's. I don't watch. Well, I don't know what it is that I'm very sweet and I'm very nice and I'm very kind. But that part of me that does hate people, it is that intense. Like, it's like, like if I had a car, I'd run you over and then I'd back up and I'd run you over again type of intense. And to reframe that with borderline personality is so, so hard. But what I'm kind of trying to do is I'm right now I'm going through with my therapist, um, the somebody loves them feeling. And that's, um, so let's say there's, there's one girl in particular that I'm thinking about right now. Um, and she is, she's guaranteed one of the worst people I've ever met. And what I have to do with my brain is I just think about the fact that, you know, she has a father who loves her and that person, like he might be a good person. She has a mother who loves her and that is probably a good person. She has she has a cousin who I know loves her a lot. And if that cousin who I know is a good person loves her, there must be something lovable about her. So why on earth would I ever wish discourse on her? And that it's a very hard place to get to. It's still something I'm working through, but I really, in my heart of hearts, I don't want to hate anyone, you know? And that's one of the hard, that is one of the things I hate. I hate the most about borderline personality disorder because I would much rather love that girl who I'm thinking about, even though she doesn't like me, even though she talks, she says awful things about me. I'd much rather love her because that's who I am at my core. That's who I was as like, as a very young child, like I, I remember that as a very young child, the only way I could wake up from nightmares is if I hugged the bad guy, you know, like that's the kind of person I am in my core. And because of what I've gone through in life, I've lost a, a little bit of that, but that's the kind of person I want to get back to. When you said the only way I could wake up from my nightmares mm-hmm. is that I hugged the bad guy. Yes. It's intense. It's crazy. Woo! Yeah. Wow. I felt every bit of that. It's weird. Like when I think back to it as a kid, I like, I still like, it's still, it's such a, it's so powerful that that's the type of person that I am. And to, and that is what, like, I need to get back to that with everything in my being. That's what I want to get back to. Well, we're we going to end it there because that, I don't even, oh. whoa, like, I, I feel all tingly. Uh, <laughs> 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 
is is there anything, Bettina, in terms of uh, mental? Because I, I know you're a huge advocate for mental mm-hmm. health, especially in the Black community. Is there is there a message that you really want to get out there that we haven't talked about? Is there something you want to say about borderline that we haven't shared? You want people to know? What, what do we what do we leave off the table? Um, I would like to leave off with another thing, actually from childhood me, and that's that you're never alone. Um, when I was a kid, if I lost an M&M, I'd close my eyes and I'd throw another M&M so it wouldn't be lonely. And the worst feeling and a feeling that everyone has at every point in their life is the feeling of loneliness. But really, we are never, ever alone. And if you look hard enough, you can find that other M&M. And I promise you that. God damn. I'm, I'm loving every bit of this. I made like, that up on the spot. Can you believe that? Come on, did no, you? Not the, not no, the childhood part. No, 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 not that. What? But like the last part that I said about the Eminem, I just said that off the, Come off on. the top of my head. Come on. Now, this is, and this is the other blessing of uh, people with borderline personality. Well, I, I, I couldn't name a, a guy that I know that has it, but just the, the women I've dated, they're very charismatic and very creative. Yeah, like, like the just oozing creativity in any, whether it's cooking, whether it's uh, art, whether it's uh, through length, like just, I was always amazed at all the things she could do uh, creatively. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, you just painting pictures with your words. That, that's so powerful. Thank um, you. The last question I want to ask you, because I asked this of all my guests, because mm-hmm. I imagine that there's always one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Yeah. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Bertina? Tell somebody. And like not like tell somebody to be to be spiteful or tell somebody because you want them to care. Please just tell somebody like it doesn't even have to be like somebody close to you. If you feel like they wouldn't take it seriously, find somebody on the internet for God's sakes and tell them what you're going through because we have all, no matter how much pride somebody has, we have all been there and not wanted to be on this earth. Tell somebody, talk to somebody, please reach out. Thank you so much. And then plug all your things. Let 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 be shamelessly. Uh, where can people find you? Contact you? Work with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at v t h e Bertina b r e t t i n a, and TikTok as well. You can find me at the actual. So it's t h e e b r e t t i n a. And then you can also find me on my website at, once again, www.vthebretina.com. All that will be linked in the show notes. Uh, you can go see her TikTok and Tina Turner and uh, Shaka Khan. <laughs> <laughs> there is one Shaka Khan thing up there, actually. Um, but remember, listeners, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get real help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE number or you going to a therapist or a coach or journaling or just calling a friend, a sibling. Call an enemy. Call somebody you hate. <laughs> call, call, 
Call 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 the internet uh, people. They got to talk to you. Call somebody right. and just tell them all your things. And uh, because your story deserves to be heard, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Bettina Davis. Thank you.